Hello, friend. I am so grateful you're here. Welcome to the Today I Am Enough podcast season three. This season, we are taking time to better understand who the women in the New Testament are and their experiences. We will learn more of them, their stories, and how Jesus Christ tutored their lives. We will learn more about how much Jesus Christ loves women. Thanks for being here today. Um, If you're watching on my YouTube video, my puppy is joining me. He's not really a puppy, but um, he's going to be sitting behind me, a little distracting this at the beginning. But today we are talking about Matthew 2 and Luke 2, and we are focusing again on Mary and Anna. We only got the beginnings of Mary's story in Luke 1 and Matthew 1, so I'm excited to talk more about the mother of Jesus and the prophetess at the temple. We are going to start with the manger, and in Luke 2, verse 7, we begin to learn more about Mary. We're actually going to do 5 through 7, though. Um, So they leave to be taxed, and he leaves with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So we are going to talk in detail about verse five and six in just a minute. Let's start with seven really quick. Um, First of all, let's talk about the manger. So in some of my studies lately, I have discovered that In Bethlehem, they really would not have had wood. It wasn't something they had often. And they had stone. And so their mangers, their troughs that their animals ate out of, were made of stone, often limestone. And so uh, we usually portray the manger as a wooden wooden, uh, box of some sort, right? But it probably was made of stone, which is really interesting to think about and different than we usually portray it. The other thing I love is the swaddling clothes. As I've read various things, I have learned that the swaddling clothes was a piece of cloth where the lineage was stitched on to this cloth. And so... It was probably the lineage of Jesus Christ stitched on, usually in blue stitching on a white cloth, because those were the colors that were prominent for their time and their um, worshiping and things like that. And so this swaddling clothes could have been something that Mary and Joseph actually brought with them, and then they would have used to wrap Jesus in, and it would have had um, his lineage stitched on it, which I think is so beautiful. All right, the next thing that we're going to talk about in verse 7 is 7b is a JST, and it changes this to say that there was no room for them in the inns. I hope you're remembering to look for JSTs. I like to just do a little red circle at the bottom and then a little red circle at the top uh, this way, (laughs) and then it helps me remember to look down into my footnotes and grab that JST. So I think this is so interesting. We need to remember that there was more than one in that would not let them in. 
the inns in Bethlehem um, probably would have been more like a spare room that usually was given to you by extended family. And Luke doesn't say there was no room in the inns. He said there was no room for them in the inns. And we're going to talk a little about a little bit more about Luke's language. He's really specific with the words that he uses. So it's really interesting the verbiage that he uses here, that there was no room for them in the inns. So for Mary and Joseph, they would have both come to this area and potentially both had family here. There's a couple of different options that we can bounce around, I guess, because obviously we don't know. So the coming of their situation is not ideal. Mary is pregnant. She got pregnant before she was married. And actually in verse five, uh, Luke tells us that Mary, okay, so that Joseph is coming to Bethlehem to be taxed with his espoused wife. So when we look at the footnotes of espoused wife, it's going to take us into Matthew. And we can also, sorry, I'm trying to find, I didn't write down the reference, obviously, but it's the same right here in chapter one, verse 27 to a virgin espoused to a man whose name is Joseph. So from this wording, we can actually assume that Mary and Joseph were still not married, which for me was something new. I think I just assumed like, oh, they got married before they went to Bethlehem. But according to Luke, they weren't married yet. He was, she was still his espoused wife. And so here they come. She's very pregnant. They're not married. This is not customary. This is not accepted. It's very shameful. And so they're coming into this situation where maybe there's actually no room for them. Or maybe no one is actually letting them in. Maybe their family wasn't prepared to have Mary, who was so close to delivering her baby, come into the home. Maybe they weren't sure if they could accommodate a birth within their homes with all the other guests that they may have had. So usually it would have been known, especially with something like this, that family was coming. And so people could prepare their homes to have their family. So if they weren't expecting Mary to come pregnant, especially, it might have been something that was just kind of a wild card. And, you know, I'm sure Joseph didn't really know what was going to happen and Mary didn't either. And so they were just hoping the Lord would provide. Uh, so when you look at the structure, you can like Google, like what a home would be like in Bethlehem or where a stable would be located. And in the scriptures, it talks about it being kind of like a cave and which could have just been behind a home. Um, a home sometimes actually had stables attached to them. So you'd go up one depiction. I saw you'd go up some stairs and then there was a stable there. It probably wasn't super far away just because people would have brought their animals. So we can kind of assume that there would be animals because there were so many travelers that there were probably animals staying in all the stables because they probably brought some sort of animal. Like we assume Mary and Joseph brought a donkey. Do we really know? It doesn't, doesn't say, I don't think, but we can assume there are probably animals with them in the stable, whether it was kind of attached to the house out behind the house where they stayed or whatever. Bethlehem was not a big enough city to have a bigger type of inn that maybe existed in that time period. There were other type of inns, but Bethlehem was just such a small place that it probably wouldn't have really 
been something that Bethlehem would have had. So it's just kind of interesting to think about. Obviously, we don't know all the details, but someday we will. So it'll be fun to put it all together. Okay, so let's talk about the angel Gabriel. He told Mary that she would be the mother of Jesus Christ. So she knows through reading the scriptures who Jesus was, right? She, I am pretty sure Mary was educated in um, knowing the prophecies of Jesus Christ and a savior. I don't think she knew the fine details of even his life from what she was told from Gabriel, but I think she knew somewhat what he was and who he was. And I don't think she had any idea what it would be like to raise Jesus. I don't think any of us could ever imagine that. I don't think she knew the miracles that he'd perform or maybe how heartbreaking it would be to be his mother at times. So Elder Holland has a new book out called Our Daystar Rising, Exploring the New Testament with Elder Jeffrey R. Holland. On page 81, he says, but I am certain Joseph did not mutter and Mary did not wail. They knew a great deal and did the best they could. Perhaps these parents, known even then that in the beginning of his mortal life, as well as in the end, this baby son born to them would have to descend beneath every human pain and disappointment. He would do so to help those who also felt they had been born without advantage. I just think it's beautiful that our Savior is born in such a humble way humble circumstances to humble parents who will later learn in this chapter were not, they did not have a lot. They were not rich in any sense of that word. And just such, just such humble circumstances, but holy circumstances, which I think is also really powerful. So as much as we're talking about Mary and Anna, it's impossible not to mention a few other key people in this because it brings the holiness of Jesus Christ back full circle. So one of the things I have wondered about Mary is if there was another woman there in that time, especially there was always, uh, the mother was probably almost always there, but for sure a, um, a woman to help deliver the baby. And it's unknown, obviously, if anyone came to help Mary. I've kind of assumed that someone would, that there would be someone there to help her as she labored, to help her clean up after and just get her comfortable. I mean, the stable owner knew that she was there and that she was having a baby. And do we know maybe his wife would have come out and help? So in this new book from Elder Holland, he states that Luke was very careful in his writing, like we've talked about. And it says, and while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. He goes on to say that Luke is very careful in making sure we know that she was very much alone in this process. Joseph, Mary, and the baby, a carpenter, a young virgin, and then a king. So as we know, like we talked about Luke being careful with his words right? The, um, with Mary being espoused, but also this, that she brought forth and she delivered and she bore her firstborn son. So it's totally possible that it was just Mary and Joseph in that stable, that she didn't have any help, that there was no midwife or 
or woman that came and helped her. Maybe there was, but we, we don't really know from Luca almost sounds like Mary was alone and it's almost a foreshadowing of the life that her son would have to have to have in the end. Right. Uh, we're going to go on to the shepherds and I love the story of the shepherds. I, they can, these angels come to them, right? And they are told to go that there is a savior, which is Christ the Lord is born. And this is the sign and he's well wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And it's interesting because uh, they, the angels tell the shepherds that he's in a manger and shepherds for sure would know where to find a manger, right? So as they look at the star and are directed, they would have known to go to the stable because the baby was in a manger. So then there was the singing of the angels and everything. And then the shepherds come and they leave with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. So these shepherds tending sheep left their livelihood left all they had, left all their sheep, walked away, and went to find Jesus. That sounds really risky as a shepherd. We've all heard stories about being a shepherd and how you watch after your sheep. And it reminds me of the Book of Mormon story um, of Ammon, right? (laughs) Of the sheep being scattered and the shepherds being punished for it. And to leave the sheep... It sounds so incredible when you think about that. It makes me wonder if the angel, one of the angels was like, I got your sheep. Like, we'll take care of those for you. Um, But they, my daughter pointed out, like from her, she was talking with in seminary and they talked about how the shepherds left the 90 and nine to go find and meet the one. And I think that is so beautiful. Um, They left their sheep, but not only that, they did as Jesus Christ did to go find him. They left their 90 and nine, so to speak, and found the one. And I just think it's beautiful. How often are we willing to leave those things of the world behind or those things that are really important and actually are important? But how often do we go and not only go, but they went with haste. There was no hesitation for them to leave those sheep behind. None. And they just, they went to go find Mary and Joseph and the baby. So I want you to think about that. Do you make time every day for Jesus? Do you take time when the spirit whispers to you to go and text someone or call someone or drop by someone's house? Do you, do you go with haste or do you like, oh, I'll remember that and then totally forget it and move on? Do we when we're told in a manner that shows we're excited to show up, like, do we, do we act in a way that shows God that we're excited to show up and come to him and to his son? I think when we act on those promptings of the spirit, we're showing our haste, our willingness. And we've been told as we act on the spirit, the more we act on those promptings, the more we'll receive because we're listening So as we go through this week's, I hope that you'll think about that and just recognize if you're acting with haste to go to Jesus or to follow the promptings of the spirit. The footnote said, 
Oh, let's see. So the next part after this, um, the shepherds come and they go and are preaching. The shepherds go and are like telling people they're not necessarily preaching. They're telling people. And verse 19 says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the footnote for ponder is meditation. I love that she kept them in her heart and remembered them and just pondered on them, that she meditated on them, that she thought about these things that were happening around her. She did the same thing in chapter one after the angel came and she pondered, she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary is someone who is such a beautiful example of she, she takes these spiritual experiences that she has and she really looks to them and looks to what they what they have done for her and what they mean. And I feel like when she's pondering, she's she's probably trying to understand more fully, maybe praying to some extent. When we have those times in our life where the spirit has spoken truth to us or we've had a spiritual experience or when we've been praying for something, Do we take time to ponder them, to just keep them in our hearts? Do we take time to sit in stillness and let the Savior fill us or help us in answering whatever we have pondering? I really believe that stillness is a spiritual gift that we can obtain. We can absolutely pray for spiritual gifts, so don't hesitate with that. If it's something you need or want to add into your life, this gift of stillness, then pray for it. Pray for the ability to have a moment of stillness in each day and seek that out and look for it and take that moment of just put your phone down, put it on silent for a minute, put it on do not disturb for 10 minutes, take your headphones out, lock yourself in a bathroom. If you have little kids that, you know, won't let you and just take a moment to ponder and to pray and to just be with your family. Okay. So Next, we are actually going to jump to Matthew because these two chapters actually have very different stories going on in them. Um, So this one, chapter two actually talks a lot more about Joseph and what is going on here. So they talks about Herod and how there were the wise men and they needed to go and they wanted to go and find Jesus. So wise men were people that studied the scriptures. And so they knew from scriptures that there would be a savior born and that there was a star that would appear. And so they had been looking for that star and they, they, once that star came, they wanted to go. Right. And so they asked, um, and Herod called them and inquired what what time the star would appear and he sent them to Bethlehem to go. So we know the wise men didn't actually leave for Bethlehem until the star was probably already there. And so they, they would have gone, but it would have taken a while. And so it came and stood over where the young child was. So now he's not a baby. He is a young child. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they were come into the house, so It took them a while. We know this, like Jesus is a young child now. And so that star would have had to stay there for a while 
which is also kind of interesting to think about. But we know time has passed because it says they came into the house in verse 11 of chapter two, and they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. So they live in a house and Jesus is a young child and he fell, they fell and fell down and worshiped him. And then they presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We always depict and assume there was three. Technically there could have been two. It does refer to them and they, so we know there was at least two and there could have been more than three. We just have no idea, but these were the gifts that were presented. And after that, the, the wise men were warned by um, God not to go back because Herod wanted to kill Jesus. And then Joseph was warned in a dream. So this is the second dream that Joseph has that he needed to take Mary and Jesus into Egypt because Herod would try and kill Jesus. And when he arose in verse 14, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. I love that Joseph doesn't hesitate. Like he reminds me so much of the shepherds, right? Like, um, he does the same thing. He's quick to respond in verse in Matthew one. And then Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. And so he's, he's quick to obey. And so they go to Egypt and the, the interesting thing is that Herod decides that all of these children need to be killed. And so the miracle is that Jesus lived, but there were a lot of other children that didn't. And as I was reading some things about this this week and last week, um, overall, the miracle is Jesus in everyone's life, right? Those babies didn't live, but Jesus did so that he could die for those, those children and those mothers and those families that lost. Because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, everyone can be made whole. And that possibility of those parents raising those two-year-old children that died or young children that died can, can happen, but it's only because Jesus lived. Jesus had to be saved in that moment because he, he was the savior. He, he is the savior, right? And so they had to be protected. And so others had to suffer just like we have to suffer, just like we have children that pass and hard things and cancer and things like that. We have it to bring us closer to Jesus Christ and to understand better all that he has given us and all that he has done. So in verse 19, Herod dies and the angel comes to Joseph in a dream again and says, take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel for they are dead, which saw the life of the child. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. And they went to Nazareth. And it's the third time Joseph wakes and goes. He does not hesitate. So uh, I love verse 23. And he came and dwelt in a city, Nazareth, and it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. I love that we see prophecies being fulfilled. Let's go to the end of that chapter has a JST, which is all text that has been taken out. That is all text from Joseph Smith's revelation. And this is a beautiful JST. And it came to pass that Jesus grew up with his brethren and waxed strong and waited upon the Lord for the time of his ministry to come. And he saved under his feet and he served under his father. And he served under his father and he spake not as other men 
neither could he be taught, for he needed not that any man should teach him. And after many years, the hour of his ministry drew nigh. So we'll talk about this a little bit with the story of Mary losing Jesus. <laughs> but Joseph taught, it was customary that the father would teach the son his trade and the things that he did. And in the Jewish culture, they would learn um, they would learn things. And then at age 13, they would get to learn how to be a teacher and start that process. So um, he, he needed to be taught by the spirit and by God, obviously. Um, and I'm sure Joseph and Mary taught him things as well, but he, he needed to, um, he was taught not in the same way as other men. And in a lot of ways, I think that would be really intimidating as well <laughs> as, as his mother and father, his earthly father. We're going to jump back because Matthew just kind of goes through up to that point where he grew, right? So let's go back to probably before the wise men, really. But we're going to go back to the temple. So uh, after women gave birth in these times, they had to wait 40 days after the birth to be clean. So in the book, Walking with the Women in the New Testament by Hannah Farrell, she explains this really beautifully and in really, really beautiful detail. But basically, it wasn't like a physical cleanliness. It was just the process of bringing forth new life into the world and a representation of that. So once a woman was clean after birth, she was able to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice. And since this was their oldest, they needed to present him at the temple and um, bring him onto the Lord. So they come to the temple with two turtle doves and the turtle doves are a representation of poverty that was reserved for like the very poorest of people. So we know that they didn't have a lot of money. And because of that, the significance later of the wise men bringing the uh, frankincense, myrrh and gold is that they then had the means to actually flee into Egypt and then maybe even come back to Nazareth. So even if they had a home, it doesn't mean they had a lot of money. So they go and this is where we are going to meet Simeon and Eli, let's see. And Joseph's mother marveled those things which were spoken. And Simeon blessed him. Okay, so Simeon, I'm just trying to find where it starts to talk about him. It says that he was in um, the Holy Ghost, that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. So let's see. Simeon's story starts in verse 24. I'm sorry. And to offer a sacrifice according to that, which they had a pair of turtle doves for the young two young pigeons is what they brought. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consultation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was unto him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came by the spirit into the temple. So he actually wasn't already at the temple necessarily. He was in Jerusalem and the spirit told him to go to the temple. So he went. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thou the servant depart in peace according to my word. So I love that Simeon gets to meet Jesus 
and that he is sent by the spirit to go to the temple to be there at the right time. And then he actually like blesses Mary, like he blessed Mary and Joseph as well. And uh, talked about what that Jesus Christ would um, fall and rise again and that he would be spoken against as well. And then we meet Anna in verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Benel. I'm not sure I'd say you guys <laughs> of the tribe of Azar. She was a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. Let's go over this. <laughs> So we have, we're just going to say she was about 14 when she got married. That was about average age for a girl. So if she was 14 and then she, seven years into her marriage, her husband passed away. So that puts her at 21. And then she was a widow for about four scores and four years. Four scores and four years is 84 years. So when we combine all those numbers, she was pretty, potentially 105. It does say she was of a great age and 105 is a great age. So I know 84 years, the four scores, it's been read differently where she was 84 years old, but even if she was, and you still add 14 to that, she's still like 98. So she's still really old. (laughs) So she was a widow of 84 years and she served in the temple with fasting and prayer night and day. The temple grounds were large enough that Anna could have lived there. She definitely could have lived on the grounds of the temple and just served and prayed all the time. So, and she came, so she was on the temple grounds, right? When Simeon had come and blessed Jesus and Mary and Joseph and she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So I love that she came in the instant and she came and in that instant gave thanks. She is like Joseph and she is like the shepherds. She is, she is quick to obey, quick to give thanks, quick to recognize the Lord in her life. And the reason she is a prophetess is because of this last part. She spake unto him all, she spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So she spoke of Jesus Christ and she knew who he was, just like Simeon. They both knew who he was. And so they spoke of him and they testified of him. And because of that, she is a prophetess. She's like a temple worker, right? Like she's there. She's, um, she's doing those things. And I just think it's, I don't know, it's beautiful to learn about her and her love of the savior and her love for the temple and her love for Jesus Christ. And that that is where she spent her time was in the temple. And that is a great place to go to know the, to know our savior better. And if that is not a place that you are spending a lot of time, I would challenge you to take more time to be in the temple. Um, We live an hour and a half away from our temple. And I know that it can be difficult to get to the temple I think it's important to prioritize it though. And president Nelson has given incredible promises. If we sacrifice our time to go to the temple, I know there's times and seasons for everything. So, um, just do what you can. If you can't go to the temple, it's important that we're learning about the temple. All right. Let's talk about, uh, the time that Jesus got lost. (laughs) 
you guys imagine losing Jesus? Like, can you imagine losing your own child for like four days? And if he was Jesus, how, um, how different, I don't know. It would just be a little mind blowing either way. It would be scary. So the end of Luke two, they, the family goes to, um, Jerusalem to go to a feast. It's probably the Passover feast. And so this was a tradition that they would have done. And so they, they go to this feast and they return there. They were filled and they returned and the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. They probably, it probably wasn't just like their little family, right? It was probably lots of people that were traveling and I don't know. They probably just assumed Jesus was like with his siblings or his cousins or the neighbors or whoever was in this crowd of people with them. And so they stopped, they'd gone a day's journey and they were like looking for Jesus and nobody knew where he was. Nobody. So they saw him among their kinfolk and acquaintances. So they couldn't find him. So there, there was kinfolk. So there were relatives and, and neighbors or whoever, but nobody could find him. So they go back to Jerusalem to seek him. And it came to pass that after three days, you guys, they looked for Jesus in Jerusalem for three days, which is mind blowing and awesome because of its significance. But Jesus was lost from his parents for three days, three days. That's a long time. And I love that they found him in the temple and they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of doctors. And there's a footnote there. And they were hearing him and asking him questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So the cool thing about this is, like I said, in the Jewish culture at 13 is when you start to begin to learn how to be a teacher. Jesus was 12. So he, of course, like he was being tutored by God and being taught, but I think it's really symbolic that he was, he was already teaching before it was normally the time of a boy that age to be teaching. And, and all these people were astonished too. They were asking him questions and they were engaged enough that they were all sitting with him. Right. So then Jesus, I mean, then Mary, excuse me, his mother said unto him, son, why hast thou this dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee, sought thee sorrowing. Like they have been really stressed out. I'm sure really, really terrified. Like I would assume there were lots of prayers like, Holy father, where is your son? <laughs> right? Like, where is he? I hope that there was peace brought to her heart, at least though, both of their hearts as they looked. And he said unto them, how is it that you sought me? Was she not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the thing that he spoken to them. And I love this next part because I think he understood that they weren't really sure what he was saying. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. He still went with them. Like he knew what he was doing wasn't bad. It also wasn't time. And maybe he wasn't, he didn't really necessarily know that yet. And he came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. So let's go to the footnote of subject. It says family, children, duties of, and then self mastery. 
So Jesus came from Nazareth with them. And then he came and was in the duties of family and children and self-mastery. So when Jesus left the temple, he did still have things to learn. And I think he had things to learn about being in a family and having an earthly mother and father and things that he was still learning from God, that that self-mastery needed to continue. Because at 12, while he was perfect, he still didn't know everything that he would need to know. He was still being taught and tutored. And I think by, by his family, we were talking in our... Uh, come follow me study this week with my kids or maybe it's family meeting. Anyways, we are talking like, I can't imagine what it would be like to raise Jesus. Like, how was that? And, and my kids were like, I can't imagine having Jesus as my older brother. Like that would be difficult. And I think it would be difficult, but I think it would be amazing too, because you would have such an understanding person living with you. And so It would just, I don't know. It's just really interesting to think about. But the end of verse 51, I love because we get to know this about Mary again. The third time, which again, interesting that it's three. Joseph had three dreams. Mary's done this three times. But this, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. For the third time in 12 years that we know of that's written down, Mary has kept these things in her heart. She's pondered them. She's kept those sacred moments in her heart. And I think the spirit was teaching her that this is what her son's work would be. And I think she was beginning to understand what it was going to look like to have her son be Jesus Christ. And I think the spirit was really teaching her in those moments that she was keeping things in her heart and that she was pondering. And the last verse we talk about is um, the new scripture that is so well known within our church now. And Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. He didn't do those things alone. Mary and Joseph were by his side. We don't know how long Joseph lived. Of course, we know that Mary outlived Joseph or outlived Jesus as well. But Joseph is actually never spoken of again. And we can assume, though, that as long as Joseph was alive, he was doing his best to help raise Jesus Christ. And I think they had a lot of opportunities like these moments right here that we just talked about to maybe not only worry about Jesus or what happened, but I'm sure he didn't like go off again. Um, but I think they had a lot of opportunity to learn as well and to know their heavenly father in a more intimate way than they would have any other way that they were able to learn through Jesus and with Jesus and understand more. I mean, we're not there yet, obviously, but the next time we hear about Mary is when Jesus turns water to wine. And Mary is the one that asks him. So what other things has Mary witnessed? What is she a witness of that is not written, except maybe in her heart? And I think 
we don't always get to share or need to share our sacred experiences. Sometimes they just need to stay in our heart, stay where we ponder them. And I hope you take time to do that. Elder Bednar, I believe it was, talked about spiritual defining memories and the importance of writing down those spiritual defining memories so that when we're struggling, we can look back and see that God has touched our heart and taught us and that he is with us. And I hope you'll take some time to do that. Write down those spiritual defining memories, those moments where you have felt the spirit touch your heart in your life. And you have just known that Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father love you and are with you and are close to you. And I think as we do that, we can really know our Savior better, just like Mary. We can know and understand and become more like Him as we seek Him more in our lives. So thanks for being here. I hope you guys have a great day.